Today we're in Isaiah 54. We have a really awesome section of scripture. There's no doubt I'm not going to be able to do it justice. But it's such a beautiful passage in the Bible. And, and it's kind of cool because we just got done with Isaiah 53, which is all about the way that Jesus uh, died for our sins. And so it kind of segues into it in such a, an awesome way because we, it's so foreign for us to be able to really deal with people the way that God deals with us. You know, God shows you so much love and so much grace. And, you know, when, when you blow it and sin against him, he, he doesn't hold it against us. And he's so amazing the way that he forgives. And so for some people in the church, it's hard to accept that. It's hard to accept the fact that you're forgiven. And so that's why I love this chapter, because it, it shows us what this is. And even though we've done a lot of bad things, but then it also encourages me to be able to be that way or reciprocate that to other people as well. And so notice what we read here in Isaiah 54 in verse 1. It says, Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare like, any expense. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Now, for those of you who know uh, a little bit about Jewish culture, you know that if a, if a sister, a gal, didn't have a baby, it was considered a great shame. You know, they didn't know all the things that we know about. Sometimes it could be the guy's fault. Now we know, you know, it's not just the girl. And, you know, we live in a fallen world. And for some reason, they just thought, you know, if you don't have a baby, then that's disgraceful. That's a shame. To them, it was important to have kids uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, the kids did the chores around the house. Amen kids uh, and then not only that but they were your social security because when you get older they were going to be the ones that took care of you so all that to say like you guys remember the story of hannah in first samuel she was just broken hearted because she didn't have any children but right here it's interesting he says there sing you who don't have any kids rejoice i mean and you're look, you're wondering why and the lord says because you will because you're going to have uh, uh, an abundance of children, so many children. Israel, you're going to have so many children that they're going to have to make your tents bigger and they're going to have to take those stakes and they're going to have to hammer them down really hard because, man, the, the people, the way that it's going to multiply, the way that God is going to bless you is beyond your wildest imagination. And, and that's what he's saying right here. You're going to expand, he says in verse 3, to the, to the right and to the left, and notice it says, and your descendants will inherit the nations. You know, one of the things you'll find about the Jews today is they're all over the world. They're all over the world. And not only that, the day will come, and we're going to see that woven into our scripture today, that, you know, one day uh, there will be this thousand-year reign of Christ, and, and the capital will be in Jerusalem, and, and Israel will be exalted. That's going to be the, the center of the earth, so to speak. And so... 
what we see right here is God basically saying to Israel, you're going to get disciplined. You're going to go to Babylon. It'll be 70 years of captivity, of heartache, heartache. But, but I want you to rejoice. I want you to sing. I want you to have faith because I am going to bless you in, in ways that are, that are beyond your wildest imagination. You know, I heard a story recently about, um, you know, because we're going through all these deaths, you know, and about how there was this story, some rabbis were talking, and they were saying that when the word of God goes out, a lot of times it goes on to a heart that's closed. And so it, it kind of goes there, and, and, it, and it stays there. And then another layer, a word, it stays there. And then like another layer, and it stays there. Until one day, the heart breaks. The heart breaks open. And then it's like then the word of God, it falls in. You know, the, the Jews, they were, you guys, if you read your Bible, they were crazy bad. They were crazy bad, man. They were sacrificing their babies to Molech, and they were burning them to their idols, and they were doing all the perversities that we see going on today. And, and, and so, you know, you might think, well, God's done with them. He's been taken to Babylon, and when they're there, God is done with them. And, and what we find basically is it's not the case. Just like he's not done with us. Just like he's not done with me. Even though we fail, even though we fall short, the blood of Jesus in Isaiah 53 washes away our sins so that not only will he not give us the judgment we don't deserve, he will bless us beyond our wildest imagination. And that's the principle we see here. This is about Israel, but it's also about God. Look what he says in verse 4. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. I mean, sometimes when we're being chastened by God or we're going through seasons that are, that, are, that are difficult, we might end up being afraid, and we're primarily afraid because I'm going to be shamed or disgraced or whatever. It's not going to turn out well. But God here says, don't, don't. Even though you're in the middle of that valley, because you believe, because you believe in Jesus, you're going to be blessed. It is interesting how he says, for you will forget the shame of your youth. And some commentators believe that's in reference to uh, them when they were in captivity in Egypt. Or, or maybe, some say, maybe the way that the northern kingdom was carried away to Assyria in 722 BC. That might be the youth part. But then the reproach of your widowhood, that's no doubt in reference to when Judah was taken to Babylon. Now, that's a fascinating concept right there, too, because he's saying that you're a nation without a husband. You're a nation without a husband. And now we know when we read the scriptures eh, that God said, I'm, you know, we're going to see it even today, that God was in one sense the husband to Israel. Now, this is another thing that's interesting. Some people say that God divorced Israel. Others say, no, it wasn't, it wasn't actually a divorce. It was just a separation. Uh, here, it's as if God died. It's as if God was, they were a widow. But God says, don't worry. Even though you went through all those, you're going, you're going to go through all those difficulties. 
Because remember, this is written before Babylon. But while they're in the middle of all that heartache, God said, don't worry, don't, don't be... Uh, look what he says in verse 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts, that's the Lord of heaven's armies, is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you refuse, says your God. And for a mere moment I have forsaken you. That was 70 years, by the way. <laughs> a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. You know, and, and it's amazing to me how God would say that he is their husband. Verse 5 is a really cool verse for all of us. It's actually a really good verse for wives, too. It's actually a good verse for ladies who are single. You know, and you want to get married so bad. You want to get married so bad, right? And uh, remember I always tell you guys, the worst thing than being single and wanting to be married is being married and wanting to be single. And that happens to It happens, man. You know, so if you don't rush into it, first establish this relationship. He says, hey, your husband is your maker. That's an awesome thing to think. But not just before you get married, even while you're married. Because I'll be the first to admit that I won't be able to satisfy my, my wife the way God can. I will fail her. I will fall short. Sometimes when wives get married, they look to their husbands to fulfill them. And that's a lot of pressure to put on a guy. And I do pray that guys would step up and love their wife the way that Christ loves the church. But we're not going to be able to do this like God does. And so it first of all applies to Israel. There's no doubt. This is in reference to them, you know, the, that God had afflicted them for 70 years. They deserved it, but they went through that difficulty. Some of you guys are going through a difficulty. Some of you guys are going through a difficulty in your marriage. Some of you guys, are it's a physical thing, and it's been years. I don't know what's going on in your life. There's a lot of anxiety and depression and just different types of struggles. Oh, and, and, and it's a season that you're going through, but God says, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in him and what he did for you on the cross? Then hold on. Be patient, because the blessing is going to come. You know, as a matter of fact, we're going to see that, you know, that's how we get saved and that's how we get blessed. Because some of us here, we need to believe the way that we were saved. We need to believe now. I believe in the blood. I believe in the grace. I believe in God's everlasting love. And right here, this God of the whole earth is, is their husband. And, and for us, we know as a church, uh, the husband is who? Jesus, Ephesians 5, it talks about that, how Christ is the, the husband to the church. And, you know, you're like, well, I'm a guy, and how could he be my husband? And, and you, you got to, you know, understand that it's just a language that speaks that he's the, our spouse. He's the love of our life. It's so important for us to have that understanding. 
Verse 8, it says, With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, for 70 years, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Now there's a really interesting Hebrew word right here, everlasting kindness. It's unfailing love. It's a beautiful word. If you have an NIV, that's the way they translate it. That's probably the best translation for this Hebrew word. Unfailing love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love never fails. That's God's agape love. Listen, he will never stop loving you. And what happens, I think, in the church is we forget that. And that's why we get depressed. That's why we don't enjoy life. We don't enjoy God. It's because we think it's based on our performance. And it's not. Listen, I don't know how it all works, and there might be someone in here, maybe you committed the biggest crimes out of all of us, and you've done the most time, or you did the most drugs, you got drunk the most, or maybe you got violent, you hit somebody, maybe you even hit a girl. I mean, there's just a lot of different things that we could think that we've done that has disqualified me from God's love. And, and the, the God is just glorified when people when they repent and then they receive this grace. This is what he's saying to Israel. He's saying, listen, I, I know you went through what you went through, but, but my, my love will never fail. I'm your redeemer. I purchased you. Look what it says in verse 9. For, for, for this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, that's Genesis 9, 11. Remember, God said, I'm not going to destroy the world with a flood ever again, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you uh, forever, nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed. But my kindness, there's the same Hebrew word, unfailing love. My unfailing love shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. And one day the mountains are going to get moved. The Bible talks about that in the book of Revelation. Turn, if you would, to Psalm, I think it's Psalm 64. I just want to show you guys this one really cool verse. You know what? It's actually Psalm 46. Is that dyslexia when you get the things backwards? Psalm 46. Look what it says. It says in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, that stuff can happen to the, to the mountains and they will move. But God will always be our ever-present help in times of trouble. And that's kind of what we were reading there in the book of Isaiah. If you want to go back there we continue reading in Isaiah 54. 
In verse 11, he says, Oh, you afflicted one, tossed with tempests and not comforted. Behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. And so again, you're going through difficulties. You're going through hard times. God here, he, he's, he's talking to Israel, and they've been afflicted, and they've gone through so much. Think about what the Jews have gone through. Think about that. I mean, we go back to the Holocaust, where six million Jews were slaughtered. The anti-Semitism is still alive and well today in the Middle East. They're surrounded by so many that hate them. I mean, you go back to 70 AD and the, the Romans, uh, 1.2 million Jews, million Jews were wiped out. I mean, the Assyrian captivity, the Babylonian captivity, the slavery while they were in Egypt, they've been through so much. They've been afflicted. But, but at the end, what God says is there's this kingdom ahead for you it's the millennial kingdom, and it's also heaven. See, and that's why, you know, for us as Christians, I mean, I know that sometimes life gets crazy, and you might look at something and you ask, like, where is God? Well, the Bible says that the sufferings of this life, they don't even compare to the glory that will be revealed one day. Now, right here, when he talks about this, uh, these gems and these, and these sapphires and these rubies and, and these precious stones... I don't know if that brings anything to your mind, but you know what it talks about? That's about the, the, the stones and the jewelry and the way that God creates the new Jerusalem. It's, it's talking about heaven. And not only that, it's talking about the wife. Because you know what they say, diamonds are a girl's best friend. Have you guys ever heard that saying? I don't know if it's true or not, but do girls like jewelry? They buy more jewelry than guys. That's what the statistics tell us, right? And, uh, and this is what this is about. The, the, he's still talking about the wife and all the jewels. And God is saying, even though you're, you go through all these things, understand there's never, I, I won't waste any of that pain. There's going to be purpose for it. And I want you to remember that one day we'll be in that millennial kingdom and one day we're going to be there home in heaven. And, and probably the heaviest thing on any lady's heart, any one's heart, is the next thing we read. Look what it says. All your children shall be taught by who? The Lord. And great shall be the peace of your children. You know, because if you're uh, like a genuine person, and, and as you get older and you start having kids, unless you become some selfish weirdo, your kids are the most precious commodity in your life. Like at the funeral today, that, that's what they were kept emphasizing. These officers loved their children. That was their legacy. That was their life. And so for me, and I know for my wife and I, we've taken this verse and we've kind of made it a, a personal promise You're, that, that our children are going to be taught by the Lord. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, it also talks about that, how in the New Covenant, you know, God, God is going to be the teacher. First John also says that. You don't really need someone to teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. Isn't it cool, the new covenant, the way that it works? And, and that's, to us, the greatest promise. Verse uh, 14, In righteousness you shall be established. 
You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. In other words, God's saying, I'm not going to send them. It's not going to be me disciplining you anymore. The enemy is going to come against you. The enemy will come against you. But look what he says. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. How God will defeat our enemies. He says in verse uh, 16, Behold, I have created the blacksmith who, who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the spoiler to, de- to destroy. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. I mean, sometimes people, they're afraid of of the devil. They're afraid of the demons. They're afraid of whatever it is that this world, this guy, this gal, whatever the situation is, and they don't realize God's on the throne. That God is the one who even, you know, he made the, the devil. And when he first made the devil, he wasn't bad. He was uh, Lucifer. He was beautiful. He was righteous. But then he had a season of choice and he chose to try to exalt himself above God. But understand, there's no way that the devil, there's no way that demons, there's no way that any created thing can defeat the creator. That's all he's saying right there. So when the enemy comes against you and all you do is believe, then no weapon formed against you will prosper. That's what he's saying. And, you know, one of the the, the, the most uh, uh, harmful, I guess you could say, weapons of uh, the enemy is the accusations and the lies. And he talks about that right there, the criticism, you know, uh, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you know, you shall condemn. Have you ever had people talk bad about you? You know, and, and maybe it's someone slandering you. Someone trying to get their agenda done. They're trying to, whatever, create division. I don't know. I don't get afraid of stuff like that. You know, because I know where I am in my relationship with God. I'm not a perfect man, but I, I love him. I'm sincere. I'm not, I don't trip out on what people say about me. I don't even care. Because I know what the Bible says, that if they try to talk smack, if they try to come against me with that type of stuff, that it will not prosper. It's a beautiful promise from God. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And not only that, it was interesting. I was talking to uh, John the other day. And, you know, um, John, he's real sensitive to the spirit and, and, and stuff, you know. And so he called me on Saturday morning and he said that there was a fire in the restaurant over there. There's a fire. And so I don't know if you guys heard about that, but the youth are going to Knott's Berry Farm, and God's going to bless them. You know, it's going to be a great time, and there's a fire. And so he calls the fire department, and I don't know how that happened, but they left something on. And anyways, you know, he, he was just saying, I mean, who knows? Maybe it was the enemy trying to start a fire. I mean, he can come against us in different ways in creative ways. But God says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Now, why is that? Why is that? Is it because you're so cool? Is it because you're so good? 
No, huh? I'll be the first to admit that if it was based on my goodness, I would be scared. I would be afraid. But it's not based on that. Look what he says right here. He says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And notice what it says. And their righteousness is from me. And that, I love that so much. Their righteousness is from me. See, it's not from you. It's not based on our performance. It's from him. Look, if you would, at a couple of verses beginning in Isaiah 45. I want you guys to go back there because we even even read it in the book of Isaiah. And then we'll go over to Romans uh, for a few verses over there. But Isaiah 45, look at verse 24. It says, he shall, surely, he shall say, Surely in the Lord I have found righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. But in the Lord all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. So a righteousness is that when you place your faith in Christ, that's all you have to do, man. So simple that a little kid can do it. Anyone can in a moment. And, and when you do, your righteousness, his righteousness is imputed to you so that when God looks at you, he sees no sin because you're covered in the righteousness of Christ. It says right there, you're justified. It's just as if you'd never sinned. That's why they call it the gospel. That's why it's called good news. Probably the best book on righteousness is the book of Romans. And I was wondering if you could turn to a, a couple of verses real quick, beginning in Romans chapter 1. And I know, I know you guys are, are familiar with this verse, but notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, in, in verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, notice the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. See, it's not works. It's not religion. I mean, do you understand how simple this is? How powerful this is? That our, our righteousness is by faith. That's why we're not ashamed of the gospel. You go out and you tell people, hey man, I know, you, you know you've had a crazy life and you've done this, that, and the other, but I'm telling you this, man, that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you believe he died for you and rose again, you're, you're saved and God will come in and he'll live in your life. You know, and you tell them that. Now to the religious person, they're like, no way. It's a, stumble, it's a stumbling stone to them. To the intellectual people, to them, the Greeks, is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. We see it here, Romans chapter 3. Notice what it says in verse 10. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's not one righteous on their own. But look what it says in verse 21 of the same chapter. It says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ 
to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. That's you. That's me. It's interesting how he says it's even there in the Old Testament. If you go to chapter 4 in verse 3, notice it says, for, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. We see the same thing in verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And so just that simple faith, we see it uh, one more time in Romans chapter 10. I want to take you guys one more verse here. It says in verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I'll never forget August 20th, 1989, when I went forward and I believed, I, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, that day, how God came into my life. It wasn't me working. It wasn't me earning it. It was just this simple righteousness. And as we're talking about, you know, blessings, even though we blow it, and we're talking about, we're going to see even later how he takes, you know, the curses and turns them into a blessing. We're talking about how God, this is the gospel, and it's, it's the best news ever. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. And so he builds on that in the next chapter of um, Isaiah. If you want to go back to chapter 55, he raps in the beginning. He says, ho. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> he says, he does say ho, but he's not rapping. Uh, from what I understand, it's, um, it's the only time this word is found in the Bible, ho. So, um, it's like, just I want to get your attention on this. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you have no money, come, buy, eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people a leader and commander for the people. And so if you're here and you feel like empty inside, if you're here and you're like not sure, whether or not you're right with God, then you know what that means? That means you're thirsty. And what God is saying right here as he's presenting this glorious gospel, I mean, how good is God? He's saying, if that sounds good to you, then come. That's all he's saying. It's so simple. Come. You know, as a, a little side note there, I was thinking about the passage in Matthew, I think it's 5 verse 13, where the Lord says, you are the salt of the earth. 
If the salt loses saltiness, then it's good for nothing. We're the salt of the earth, and that means two things. We're preservatives. If you're a Christian, you're kind of preserving it. But also you're creating a thirst in others. And so my prayer is that we would love the Lord Jesus so much that we would love people so much that they want what we have. That they want, they're thirsty for God. Because sometimes people out there, they don't want to come to church. They don't want to be a Christian. Why? Because a lot of Christians are snobby, self-righteous people. And there's no thirst, you know, and they wouldn't come and they don't really know like the goodness of the message. And so they're not really thirsty. So, you know, prayerfully we are salty and prayerfully we're good witnesses and prayer, prayerfully we're loving on people and we're doing the right thing in that sense. But, but, but if there's anyone who's listening, maybe you're online and you're listening, if you're thirsty, the Bible says, God says, just come. It doesn't cost you any money. You know, um, you just come and you make that exchange. You know, you buy these things that God gives. Um, we spend our, our, our money, literal money, on things that will never satisfy us. Think about where all our money goes and, you know, the latest and greatest and fastest computer and next thing you know, the clothes and it all wears out and you're just, we're just pouring our money into a lot of different things and God says that'll never satisfy. The, the things that really bring love and joy and peace and, and power are free. It's free. You don't need any money. In the book of Acts chapter 8, you know, Peter told that guy, Simon, your money perished with you. You thought the things of God could be purchased? No, they can't. And so what the Lord is just saying here is, you know, let's come to him. Just come as you are. Don't think that I have to go and clean up my life first and then come. You know, I, 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 would, I think of Jesus' words in Matthew 11, same thing, right? And he was talking to them. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, if you're struggling, if you're in that place where you're having a hard time, you don't have to try to figure this out. Well, what do I do? What do I do? You have to go to Jesus. You have to go to Jesus. For me, you know, that might mean just getting alone, going into my garage, and getting on my knees. That's how it might be. Or I might, you know, it might be in my car. But I do know it, a lot of times it's going to him. For, for some of you here, it's the first time of accepting Christ into your life. You know, it's so important for us. Look what he says right here. In verse 2, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. So I will say this, two things. Number one, you have to hear you have to listen. You know, it's interesting what the Bible says when the Lord talks about this in, 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 the, in, the, in the Gospels. And number one, we must listen earnestly or intently. So Jesus said, we need, we need to be careful how we hear. So you go to a Bible study, and you're like, okay, I don't care about that guy up there because he's just a dude, he's just a, a fallen vessel, he's nothing. But for whatever reason, God has put him there and I'm going to hear the word. I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to listen to the voice of God. I'm going to listen to the Bible. And you go and you open up in the morning and you read your Bible. You're like, okay, I expect the God of the universe to speak to me. 
So number one, Jesus said, take heed how you hear. But then he also said, take heed what you hear. And that's the same thing we read right here in Isaiah. He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. You know, one day we'll be in heaven. Pizza will be good for you. Until then, it's it's probably not that good, but I still like it, right? But I will say this when it comes to spiritual food, that people are eating junk. They're listening to everybody on YouTube and everybody online, and they're, they're they're just taking in things that it's junk food. And it's not, a lot of times not even the word. You have to take heed how you hear. And you have to take heed what you hear. Someone's, just because someone sends you a Bible study or just because they send you a podcast or just because you get that forwarded doesn't mean you necessarily have to listen to it. You know, for me, I'm really careful what I listen to because I know that I can be influenced. And, I, and I've been reading the Bible for a long time. So be careful. Right here, God says, incline your ear towards me. And he says in verse 9, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Now, this right here can mean a few different things. It could be the way that David received so much mercy from God. Huh, David, when you think of David, you, maybe some of you guys think he was right on, a man after God's own heart, Acts 13, 22. But homeboy, he committed adultery. Homeboy murdered Uriah. I mean, David wasn't all that. David would go on raids. Do you remember? Before he was king, he would go on raids and he'd be killing a whole bunch of people, man, not leaving anyone alive. And so, you know, God showed him mercy. And and what he's saying right here, he'll do the same for us. The sure mercies of David. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it, some people believe that during the millennial kingdom, David will actually be there as a prince and others see that as basically in represent, representation of Jesus because you know he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And so it says in verse 5, surely you shall call a nation you do not know and nations who do not know you shall run to you Speaking of Israel, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And then he says in verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You know, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly Pardon, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And, and I want to share this so cool real quick. Um, you know, seek the Lord while he may be found. It, it doesn't basically you're like, well, what do you mean? Is there's times where he, he won't be, we won't be able to find him? Yeah. Like if God is drawing you, the Bible says no one can come to, to the Lord unless it says that in John 6, God draws them. And, and sometimes what ends up happening is people, they say, no, 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 no. I don't want you, God. I don't want you, God. I don't want you, God. Eventually, God, they might commit the unpardonable sin. Another time is when, it's, when he judges you, when we die. It's too late. 
So God, help us to seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. And I like the way that he mentions this in verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. And it's not just his ways, it's also his thoughts, right? Get rid of those things because a lot of what we're talking about tonight has to do with just faith, just faith, just believing, right? But I love the fact that he has not excluded the fact that we need to turn from our sins, repent of those sins, be willing to let them go and place our faith in Jesus Christ. And what will God do? God will pardon God will forget. Hey, man, he never did that. We're so good at remembering people's sins, huh? How many of you guys are good at that? You're like, yeah, so-and-so did that to me last Tuesday, last, you know, Wednesday, whatever. And, and you remember everything. God casts out far as east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. And, and that's when God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher like the heavens are above the earth. And so when I was looking this up, I was like, wow, Lord, that's a, a long ways away. I think it's like something like 58 billion light years, how big this universe is. Our, our, the way that we deal with people, the way that we often deal with people, is we, um, we do it like, kind of like merit. But God's not like us. God's ways, God's grace is so amazing. And it has to do also with just you know, his plans. I mean, they're just so much bigger than we would ever imagine. And so, verse 10, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It's not just to accomplish it. Notice that it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And that's why it's so important. You know, like today I was thinking about in the funeral, uh, just, you know, you wish there was more like the word, like a, a Bible verse. All it requires is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God's word, you guys, is powerful. He says, For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And you know, when we're there, the, we're going to experience this in the millennial kingdom where the curse is reversed. We're definitely going to see it in heaven. And so today, again, thinking about this funeral, uh, thinking about these funerals, um, that the hope of heaven it is like this anchor to the soul, you know? I mean, just knowing that it's true. I was thinking about, you know, the, the, the daughters and, and the kids and the wife and just all the different people there, the officers. And I was just thinking, I hope that someone gives them that message that there is an opportunity for reconciliation, that you can see your dad again, that you can see your husband again, that you can see... You know, your, your, your brother again. Because when we place our faith in Christ, 
you know, we're reconciled. This hope that we have of heaven is is such a strong comfort. And so there's a lot here. I want to encourage you guys to read through it. And um, I, I pray primarily that you would know the power of the blood of Jesus that washes away your sins. And may that reach our hearts in such a way that we would be salt, that we would be loving representatives of Christ, and that we really would create a thirst in others for him.